Chapters 23 and 24 of War and Woman by Mrs. St. Clair Stobart. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 23 Our return journey to Sophia was not without interest. The railway line, though not quite free to Adrianople, was, during the armistice, open to Demotica, and the authorities arranged for us to train through Eskibaba to Demotica, and thence be conveyed in automobiles, or failing these in bullock wagons again, via Karagali to Mustafa Pasha or Karagach, where the main line via Philippopolis to Sofia would be joined. The PMO and Dr. Ivanov, and other kindly officials and friends, came to the station at Kirkkilis to wish us farewell, and after a fourteen hours train journey we arrived at Demotica at 1 a.m. Sleeping quarters had been arranged for us in this picturesque rock townlet. But as we were due to leave Demotica starting from the station in our automobiles at eight that same morning, we elected to remain in our railway carriages in a siding for the rest of the night. We procured for breakfast glasses of tea at the station buffet and started in large government automobiles for ourselves and luggage at eight o'clock. We reached the halfway house at Semlin at one thirty, and here we rested and ate luncheon by the roadside. We were close to a field hospital and sat near the pathetic little wayside burial ground with its newly dug earth mounds, nameless and unmarked, mute testimony to the folly of mankind. Life, the only one of man's possessions which he himself is powerless to create, the only one of his possessions which he wantonly destroys. Whilst waiting at Semlin, delayed after the other cars had started, I was fortunate enough to discover that we could, by a little deviation from the direct route, visit the first line of the Bulgarian trenches of investiture round Adrianople, and yet be in time for our train that night at Karagach. This would involve a slight risk of being benighted on the bad roads of these bleak moorlands. But nothing that is worth doing is accomplished without some risk. The order was therefore given to the chauffeur. The first line of trenches round Adrianople and he started off as obediently as though he had been told to drive us to the parish church in England on a Sunday. We drew up as we saw the long lines of Bulgarian soldiers busy digging and improving trenches which extended along the open country on either side of the road as far as the eye could reach. For though the armistice was in progress, war, as regards preparedness, always continues till peace is declared. We arrived as the sun was gilding the domes of the four minarets of the beautiful mosque in the besieged city, and the whole town in the rays of the setting sun looked so peaceful and fairy-like, it was difficult to realize the conditions that prevailed inside the walls. We introduced ourselves to some officers who came to meet us, and they courteously took us round and showed us how they had gradually advanced their trenches, which were visible, line after line in the rear of us, till now, in their present position they were less than three miles from the promised town. We were standing on the ridge of an undulating plateau, and upon another ridge, facing us and within a couple of hundred meters, was again a long line of soldiers, differently dressed, who were also busy digging and improving their entrenchments. Between us, and coextensive with both lines of trenches, was a line of white flags placed at intervals. Those white flags, explained our officers, token during the armistice neutral ground, and those soldiers digging on the other side of the flags are Turkish soldiers in the first line of defense. If war breaks out again, the first shots will be exchanged between them and us, and he pointed to himself. Would you, asked the officer, care to have a talk with some of the Turkish officers? Of course I should, 
and he accordingly sent a messenger inviting his enemies, whom to-morrow he might shatter into fragments to come and have a friendly chat. We watched our messenger till he reached the top of the opposite slope of the hill, and saw him disappear amongst the Turkish soldiers. For some little time there seemed to be no response. Nothing happened. Perhaps they are refusing to come? Oh, no, said our officer, they'll come. We often talk together. But when they hear they are to meet ladies, they will take a long time arranging their toilettes. In the meantime we were shown the large holes which the Bulgarian soldiers had dug in the ground for night shelters, and I spent a few minutes standing in the trench of this first line of attack, trying to picture, as I aimed with one of the empty rifles at the enemy opposite, what it must be like to be out to kill one's fellow human beings. No doubt I should, like everyone else, soon get inured, but I felt that henceforth those of us who are not condemned to this inurement should at all costs make their protest. All around us, on both sides of the road and on the road itself, enormous holes had been excavated by the shells of the defending guns of Adrianople, and innumerable fragments of these shells of all sizes as well as empty cartridge cases covered the ground. We were kept interested, but the toilettes of our Turkish friends might cost us our train connection at Karagatch and cause us to be benighted and separated from the rest of the party who would await us at the station. I was therefore relieved when, finally, just as it grew dusk, we saw striding towards us down the road two medium-sized figures, with swords hanging beneath the cover of their long grey cloaks. We advanced to meet them, and round the white flag of truce on that historic road to Adrianople, these two Turkish officers and our Bulgarian officers and our little party of the Women's Convoy Corps met and chatted together in friendliest fashion. The Turks knew no language but their own, but one of our Bulgarian officers knew Turkish and also French, and in this latter language he acted as intermediary, interpreting into Turkish the remarks I made in French, and vice versa for the remarks of the Turks to me. I broke the ice by telling the Turkish officers that we had been conducting a hospital for the wounded, and that some of our patients had been Turkish soldiers, and that they were excellent fellows. In Red Cross work, nationalities were non-existent, and it was chance only that had directed us to nurse chiefly Bulgarians. The Turkish officers responded in appreciative terms, but were obviously weary of the war and looked starved and careworn. They wrote their names in Turkish characters, they knew no other, in my notebook, and we all, Turks, Bulgarians, and English, talked and even laughed together unrestrainedly. We bade them good-bye, and as I drove off and watched the two sets of pretended enemies return each to their respective trenches, the artificiality of war was borne in upon me. These men had no grudge or personal animosity against each other. On the contrary, they met every day on friendly terms. But because the governors of their respective countries are such thick heads, so dull of wit, or lacking in imagination that they can devise no better way of securing justice, these peasant fathers of families are told to dig trenches and play bo-peep till given a signal when they are to dash out and blow each other's brains out. The most successful brain-blowers will then be reckoned to have had justice on their side, and the world will accept the decision with applause. The carnage is given an appearance of seemliness by stage management, according to the rules. Murder is not murder when it is done in line and in obedience to military bugle-calls. Heavens! How the devil must needs laugh to see his dupes madly rushing to their work of destruction, inspired even to heroic bravery by the specious arguments which he has filled their heads. 
From his trial by water and trial by fire we have already escaped. When will his trial by battle also be regarded as an anachronism for twentieth-century mankind, and be proscribed and remembered only as a tradition of primeval times when the devil, flaunting his naked tail and hoofs, was allowed to walk unchidden in our midst? War, unfortunately, did break out again, and some, if not all, of those men with whom we joked and talked are now, presumably, their jokes all stilled, under the sods in those very trenches. Fools that men are! With each life that is born, the world gains new brains to help in discovering the mystery of life and of the hereafter. But man, in his barbarism, cries, No mysteries for me. Death is the only thing I can understand. I will destroy these brains. I will kill and be satisfied. A large military and journalistic clack, in possession of the big drums and the speaking trumpets, then applauds and the rest of us feebly clap our hands in acquiescence. Until I went to the Balkans, I had clapped with the majority. I had, of course, never doubted that war is an evil, but I had doubted whether there might not be other evils, perhaps of a more insidious nature. Might it not, perhaps, be true, as asserted by the militarists, that war brings out qualities of heroism and self-sacrifice which would otherwise lie dormant? that the virility of a nation is dependent upon the fighting qualities of its manhood. I know now that these are devil's arguments. I know now that war kindles not qualities of heroism, but qualities of brutality which would otherwise lie dormant, atrophied with the dorsal appendage in embryo. That war stifles, suppresses, massacres qualities of essential value for the future of mankind. It is true that the virility of a nation is dependent on the fighting qualities of its manhood, but the fight which man must wage is not against man, but against the environment of man. That distinguishes man in essence from the brute. Progress in the world of consciousness is one long fight against environment, one long battle against that adaptation to environment which was the leading string of pre-human life. I could not succumb to the environment of war. All day long in our hospital at Kirkulis, surrounded on the one hand by the butchered bullocks in the kitchen, and on the other by the butchered human beings in the wards, the thought was borne in upon me, are we then solely animals? Are bloodshed and butchered bodies the only things that count? Is there in the world no spiritual element? Is the religion of Christianity only an aspiration? Are the idealist philosophies of Bergson, Eucken, and of those of us who believe in a spiritual future for mankind, only an intellectual bubble? Does man truly believe that his evolution is to be along spiritual lines? How then is it possible for him to assert that the only means to the progress of nations is by the butchery of the bodies of his bravest men, and the starvation of his women and children, is it not time that the world made up its mind as to whether it does or does not believe in this spiritual evolution? Time that it should boldly face those two small words, yes or no. There is no third, and act straightway in accordance with a decision. For those of us who have come to a decision, and who believe that the development of mankind will be, not upon the physical or the intellectual, but upon the spiritual plane, our duty lies clear. We must acknowledge that war is an unmitigated evil. We must denounce the bestial horrors and indignities to which it subjects human beings. We must no longer condone war as a tragedy, 
we must condemn it as a crime. End of chapter 23 Chapter 24 Our drive in the dark to Caragatch was an exciting race against time. But we were fortunate enough to have no punctures or breakdowns, and we arrived a few minutes before the departure of the train. A military train with special carriages for our party, for Philippopolis and Sophia. We arrived next evening at Sophia, where the Red Cross authorities, under Dr. Radeff's kind direction, had arranged for our reception at the Hôtel de Paris for the night. The Queen had very graciously expressed her wish to see me again. I proceeded, therefore, the next morning to the palace. My former impressions of Queen Eleonora were strengthened, and I came to the conclusion that the Bulgarian people had been very fortunate, not only in their choice of king, for his intellectual qualities are well known in Europe, but in the possession of a queen who combines in a wonderful way a capacity for hard work and mastery of detail, with qualities of intuition, sympathy, and understanding. Her Majesty spoke with much warmth and gratitude of the services rendered to her Bulgarian soldiers by the convoy corps. She had, she said, received many reports, official and unofficial, of the progress of our work in hospital, and all alike had been in flattering terms. I confided to her my hesitation as to the right moment for closing the hospital, and Her Majesty replied, You have chosen exactly the right psychological moment. And after some personal encomiums which were particularly undeserved, the Queen asked me to accept a photograph of herself framed in silver, and to deliver to each member of the corps then present with me a gift which she kindly sent to the hotel. Dr. Radeff was, as usual, kindly solicitous for our welfare. He must have been overburdened with work and worries, but he never fussed, and that evening, as he accompanied us to the station, helped us with our luggage and saw us into our special carriages, he, with his fine Bulgarian courtesy, conveyed the impression that for the moment his only concern in life was for our well-being. Our heavy baggage, which had been taken in charge by the station master earlier in the day and placed in a van of its own, had disappeared, together with the station master. A new station master for the night shift knew nothing of our van load. It will be sent after you, he said calmly. I beg to differ. There were literally thousands of vans and trucks crowding nearly a mile of lines, and there was small chance of our truck of luggage and equipment extricating itself all on its own. We hunted for the van till it was time for the train to start. Then I visited the station master again. We are going, I said quietly, to remain here till you find our luggage. We cannot go back to the hotel again. Please, therefore, give us some railway carriages in which we can spend the night, put us on a siding, then search for our van. We'll depart and leave you in peace when you have found it. This produced a marvelous effect. We spent the night in unwarmed carriages on a siding, and early in the morning, before it was light, I was aroused from a semi-unconscious condition by hearing something that sounded like an express train coming along our line. The word collision was on my lips when a collision occurred. Crash! Bang! I was hit on the head by my Gladstone bag, Kodak, and other articles which had been hurled from the rack above and ricocheted from my head into the passage outside. I dashed out to see if any of the others in the other carriages were hurt, but found no harm done, only a general scattering of the handbags. I felt very angry with the station master, and I made for his office, for I had warned him against putting us on a siding which was not safe. Madam, he replied quietly, it was your luggage, anxious to rejoin you. The engine driver lost control. I am sorry. 
he will be reprimanded. But now you can leave at seven o'clock. It was with feelings both of regret and satisfaction that we bade farewell to Sofia and Bulgaria and started on our return journey via Belgrade, Budapest, Vienna, Frankfurt, Brussels, Calais and Dover to London. An accident to the Orient Express, of which a portion was smashed to splinters on the main line outside Belgrade, caused some delay, but in due course the Women's Convoy Corps arrived safely back in London, having proved by practical demonstration that women can be of independent service in time of war. This practical demonstration will, it is hoped, in a humble way, help to convince our old friend of public opinion that it is expedient to employ women in warfare, and that the question with which we started this book ought women to take a practical share in national defense, and to be included as an integral portion of the territorial army, may safely be answered in the affirmative. End of chapter 24